Welcome, uh, church. My name is Tyler. I'm uh, the youth and families pastor here. Uh, welcome to Youth Pastor Sunday, is what I like to call it. Um, the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday after Easter are youth, youth pastors across the globe get their chance at the pulpit. Uh, because senior pastors and lead pastors uh, work really hard uh, for Easter. And then, you know what? They just go away. Can you, can you believe he did that to us? So if you were here last week for the first time and you decided to come back this week, I am sorry. <laughs> you are stuck with me today. Um, but from my point of view, it is an absolute joy and a pleasure and an honor to be able to stand up here and um, uh, share God's word with our church. Uh, I always count this a blessing and an honor, something I don't take lightly, um, something that I work really hard to, uh, to improve on and to pray through, and because uh, our church is important to me, right? And uh, the mission of our church to help people know and follow Jesus is important to us. And so anybody who stands up here um, does it with, uh, uh, with great honor and joy and humility, knowing that these words aren't our own, but they're God's. And so it is a joy to stand here with you today. Last week, a lot went into Easter Sunday. Um, you can tell it's the week after Easter by a few things, right? I was writing down a few thoughts. Um, number one, you didn't have to arrive early. We've still got people trickling in because you knew there were going to be parking spots and seats available when you got here. That's how you know it's not Easter Sunday morning. Um, there's a lot less ties. You look around. My lilies are dying. I'm finding bugs in my house. I killed a wasp's nest yesterday. Thank you so much for that. It was just one of those moments, um, I don't know why I'm sharing this, it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. It was just one of those moments that I'm just really glad nobody has a record of. And nobody was taping, because you didn't want to see me trying to, trying to do that yesterday. Um, but here we are, a week after Easter, and sometimes... Uh, uh, we know what happened on Easter Sunday morning because Pastor Matt did a wonderful job of sharing God's word with us. Christ was crucified. Three days later, uh, he rose from the grave. And that's not all that happened, right? He, uh, he arose from the grave. Satan could not stop him and sin could not defeat him and death could not destroy him and the grave could not hold him. Three days later, he arose from the grave. Amen? But sometimes, and, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but sometimes I feel like in churches we kind of do this like, all right, he arose. That was wonderful. It was incredible. It was miraculous. All right, let's get back to work. I'll see you again next year. It's a week after. Let's move on. And we, and we, and we do this thing of like coming back to reality it's almost like a week of, of uh, spring break, which some of you have experienced this week. And, and your kids have been off, and maybe some of you have been on vacation, but tomorrow is back to reality. It's back to the real world. 
And the reality for Christians is that Jesus arose, and it wasn't just a one-time event. It was something that changes our lives every moment of every day. But we don't live like that. We live as if the resurrection was really good for a moment, and maybe it was good for the salvation moment, right? Or, Or maybe it was good for that one Sunday, an Easter Sunday morning, but it doesn't really have a lot to do with the rest of my life. The resurrection of Jesus not only saves us, but it sustains us every day. It is the hope that we place our faith on. It is the foundation of what we believe in. It is more than just a one-day event. It's not only a powerful thing, but it's a very practical thing. It's not only needed for salvation, it is necessary for my situations. It's not only a real thing, it's a very relevant thing to me and to you. The resurrection of Christ is something that we need every moment of every day because our faith doesn't end with the resurrection, it only begins. I mean, look at what Paul says in Philippians 3. Uh, he says his aim is to know Christ and the, resurrect, or the power of the resurrection. That was his aim. That was his goal in life was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. This morning as a church, my prayer is that we can get a glimpse of the reality of a risen Savior. That it becomes more than just a one-time event. That it is something that impacts the way we live and the way we interact with people and the way we obey and the way we trust. We're in John chapter 20 today. As you're turning there, um, I was thinking through the the idea that... uh, Maybe we've learned about the resurrection, but we don't quite understand it. Um, That's what kind of God has placed on my heart, right? John chapter 20, we're going to start reading in verse 19. But before we do, uh, I worked at a camp called Canacuck when I was in college. I worked there a few summers. It's a Christian sports camp in Branson, Missouri. Uh, And... It was a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful experience for me. I got to work with nine to 11-year-old athletes who their parents had a lot of money and would send them to this camp for two weeks or more um, to to play and and be mentored and to grow in their faith. And I remember this one time. I had a group of 10 and 11-year-old boys in, in a cabin, and mail came. And if you've ever been to camp and got a package or a piece of mail from your parents or friends or loved ones, it is a big occasion, right? You know that feeling? Man, you are on top of the world. Parents, if your kids ever go to camp, send them a package. They love it. That's it. Um, Except I got a package once at camp, and I opened it up with friends all around, and there was a piece of paper on the top that said, underwear alert. Moms, don't do that. 
to your kids. That's awful. I had to close it back up and took it to my cabin. Anyways, so I'm in there and the mail comes. There's this package and this boy gets super excited because it's a package and his friends were very excited for him. And he opens it up and he pulls out this stick of deodorant and he holds it up. He says, guys, look what I've got. And the whole cabin erupts in excitement. And they were applauding. And they were saying, yes. And then he walks over to me. And he said, what is it? <laughs> and I said, I took him. I, I discipled him. I said, Listen, this is deodorant. Your mom, and, your mom has sent you a stick of deodorant, maybe for the first time in your life. I don't know why they expected me to teach him. <laughs> this, you are becoming a man. And he grabbed that deodorant and he held it up again. And he, in the manliest voice he knew how, he said, guys, I have got deodorant. And again, I couldn't believe it. Everybody was excited for him. All right, yes. And then he walks back over to me and he says, what do I do with it? I said, you gotta, I said, you gotta rub it on your head. I didn't. I told him the truth. But sometimes we know what we have, we don't know exactly what to do with the resurrection of Christ. We understand that it's a good thing, but how does it affect our daily lives? There was a group of men in the Bible whose life was radically altered and changed by the resurrection of Christ. John chapter 20, we're going to look at the disciples. Really a, a fabulous moment that John does a good job of writing down for his audience and for us. John chapter 20, verse 19 On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I pray that this morning we will get a glimpse of the reality of a risen Savior. I pray that, that your word will pierce our heart, pierce our mind, and may it change the way we live. Speak to us this morning. Be glorified and honored. May it be about you and not about us. We thank you for your word, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So let's set the stage of what's, what's going on here, right? This is, Christ has been crucified 
In the disciples' eyes, hope has been lost because they hadn't yet connected all the dots. Their hearts and minds weren't open to the big picture of Scripture and the prophecies and different things. They didn't know what has just happened. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. It is the, the, the stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. It, she's feared that someone has stolen the body, so she runs back and says to Peter and John, she says what she had saw in her experience. And then they go running towards the tomb. And John writes down that he beat Peter to the tomb. I always found that funny. It's like, <laughs> I could see later on him being like, Peter's going to hate this, but it happened. <laughs> Peter's like, John, why you got to say that? He's like, listen, I'm just trying to be as honest as I can be, you know? John beats him, right? But he stops, and Peter runs by him straight into the tomb to see linen and cloth and know Jesus. My guess is because the big picture hadn't been placed in their hearts and minds yet, they didn't know exactly what was happening. They thought maybe someone had... Stolen him, or I mean, what if? So they, it says that they departed and went back to their houses. But Mary Magdalene stayed, right? And peering into the empty tomb, she sees two angels that question why she's there. And then she turns and she sees this gardener behind her, or what she, who she thought was a gardener. And she says, were you the person that took the body of Jesus? Because if you are, let me follow you. Let me find him. And apparently she wasn't looking at him anymore when the supposed gardener says, Mary. And at her name, she was stopped in her tracks and turned and said, Rabboni, teacher. Why? Because when my sheep hear my name, I know them, right? Man, there's power in the name. There is power in the words spoken by Jesus. He stopped her in her tracks and she, he said, Mary, because he knew her. And at that moment, she knew that it was a risen Savior. So she went and told the, the disciples of what she had seen and what she had heard. She had experienced a risen Savior. She had witnessed Jesus that had come to life. She knew it was true because she had witnessed it. But yet the disciples, here they were still, I could not imagine what they were thinking. It's very easy to, to cast blame. It's very easy to say, wow, I can't believe they were doubting in this moment. But man, you place yourself in their shoes and I have no idea how I would have been. Hope would have been lost. I would have been doubtful. I would have been discouraged. I believe I would have uh, been frustrated. I would have been exhausted over the past few days. And here we are, the disciples are together in a room with the door locked because of fear of the Jews. They were fearful. 
Maybe the group that crucified Jesus would do the same to them. Or maybe that they would believe that the disciples were the ones who stole the body of Jesus, but they feared them. They feared them. Partly because, because death brings fear. See, they didn't know the truth yet. And then God's word says that Jesus steps in to the room. Jesus steps into the room. The door's locked, but Jesus appears. This is a supernatural event to show his deity. This is a powerful, miraculous moment. And whether he walked through the walls or whether that door miraculously flung open, who knows? I'm going to let you imagine whatever you want to imagine from God's word, right? He appeared. That's what it says. But they made a note that the door was locked. And Jesus appeared. He stepped into the room full of doubt and questioning and exhaustion and fear. Jesus stepped in. Doesn't, doesn't Jesus happen to do that often to us? When Jesus steps in the room, it changes everything. And some of you uh, this morning need Jesus to step in the room. That's what you need. You need his presence in your life closer than ever before. And you've struggled to feel him and you've struggled to hear him and you've struggled to see him move and you simply need Jesus to step in. And there is hope this morning. And he has a way of stepping in in the craziest time and in the craziest ways. And sometimes it's a verse from God's word. Sometimes it's a worship song that you hear on the radio. And sometimes it's an encouraging note from a friend. And sometimes it's the beauty of creation. And God has the perfect moment and the perfect time. He whispers, I'm here. Amen? But he doesn't just step in right, to their confusion and doubt and fear. He says these words. He says, peace be with you. These weren't new words to the disciples. They were familiar words. These were words that they had heard Jesus say before on multiple occasions or words very similar to this. And they knew the power of Jesus' words. They had, they had heard the words peace before when they were in a boat that was sinking and the waves were crashing and the wind was blowing and he calmed the storms. They heard these words. They heard these words when Jesus healed multiple people of diseases and then told them to, that, that, for peace to be with them as they go. These weren't just words, these were powerful words spoken by a risen Savior. He says, peace be with you. And I have three things that I want to point out today, right? 
And, and last week we talked about the fact that the reality of a risen Savior, that, that the resurrection of Christ brings a great hope. Pastor Matt talked about the great hope that we have in Christ. Well, this week, um, there's three very, very uh, practical observation points from this passage, and this is one of them. That the resurrection of Christ brings a great peace. It brings a great peace, a calming. When the waves are crashing and the wind is blowing and everything around us seems to be falling apart, the resurrection of Christ can bring a great peace. Why? Because Christ has overcome the grave. Christ has overcome death. Christ has overcome hell and sin. And he has won. The victory is ours. And if the victory is ours and we don't have to fear death, then we can have a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He came and he said, peace be with you. He didn't just say it once, he said it twice. Some of us need peace today. You need to hear the words, peace be with you. You need peace more than I can ever imagine. And God is the God of peace. they didn't have to fear death, they, then certainly they didn't need to fear the Jews anymore. And after he says, peace be with you, he shows them his hands and his side. And look at his disciples' response. Right? They were glad. Think about that for a moment. Think about this, this what's happening in this room. When all hope had seemingly been lost, Jesus steps in, he shows them his hands and his side. They've realized that this is a true thing, like this really happened, that what they have given their lives to, what they had sacrificed for, what they had committed to, the man who, who they were following was true. Their lives weren't wasted, right? This was real life, like he was there the Bible says they were glad. They rejoiced. Can you sense the deep breath they took? <laughs> like their relief? Can you imagine the weight being lifted off in that, that very moment? When fear and gloom turn to joy. I like to tell my students like to turn your frown upside down. This is what happened when tears of sorrow turned to tears of joy. The moment that Jesus walked into the room and they witnessed a res resurrected Savior. Psalm 16, a psalm of David, a psalm that Luke writes about in the beginning chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 2, and he says that David knew that he was talking about the Messiah when he wrote these words. 
And he says in Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of Jesus, there is fullness of joy. And I'm not talking about a a fake smile all day happiness that rises and falls with different circumstances. I'm talking about a joy that is eternal, that is banked on God's promises. Are you living in the presence of a risen Savior today? Because in the presence of a Savior is fullness of joy. Have you lost your joy today, church? Do you, as David, need to pray, God, return to me the joy of my salvation? Are you struggling to have joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances and situations. Yeah, Tyler, but my, uh, my Enneagram, he says I'm not going to be joyful all the time. And maybe that's true. Maybe your personality isn't a joyful personality. All I know is that in the presence of our Savior, we will be joyful. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. You know when I'm I'm the most joyful, and trust me, my wife will tell you this, my kids will tell you this, the moments in life where I'm most joyful are the moments in life where I'm spending the most time in the presence of my Savior. The days that I am most joyful are the days that I get up earliest, get less sleep, open up God's word, spend time praying and seeking him, and get alone with him in the closet of my house. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. I experience the most joy when I am making him a priority in my life to spend time with him. Our students are about to start a new series on Wednesday. It's called Jesus is Greater Than. We have, a, we have this issue of trying to seek out joy in a lot of different places, don't we? And what the world promises us will bring us joy and satisfaction and peace really only ends in a dead end, doesn't it? And it it may bring happiness for a moment and it might feel good for a short moment, but in the end is pain and destruction. And the only thing that's going to bring true and lasting eternal joy is Jesus Christ. And you can pursue a lot of things in life. 
It feels good to have a lot of money, doesn't it? Sometimes. It feels good to have a lot of friends sometimes. It feels good to have a, a nice following on social media. And it feels good to... Man. And the Satan, the deceiver, wants to tell you and wants to tell our kids, man, fight for the hearts of your kids, please. Wants to tell your kids that joy is found in going there and being with that person and having that and dressing like that and buying that and having those shoes and having that haircut. That's where joy is. And if you only had so many more followers on Instagram, you would be a joyful person. And if you only lost a few more pounds, you would be a joyful person. And if you only went on this, if you only got this job promotion, you would be a joyful person. That is a lie. Those things aren't necessarily wrong in and of themselves. But to make them the aim of our joy is wrong. The aim of our joy is the presence of our Savior. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And when they saw the Lord, they were glad. That's not all that happened in that room. Because a risen Savior brings a great peace. And the risen Savior brings a great joy. But the risen Savior also brings a great commission. It brings a great commission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The sent one has become the sender, and his disciples were to be the messengers. This was John's great commission. And this is echoed in all of the Gospels. Matthew 28, you know the great commission, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. At the end of Luke, chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, he says, And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And he didn't stop there. And that repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You see, the resurrection wasn't the end, it was the beginning. And the disciples, having witnessed a resurrected Christ, were changed forever. Do you think it was possible for them to go back to being fishermen again? They had seen somebody defeat death and raised from the grave. They had seen him with, his own, with their own eyes. They had heard him speak. They had maybe touched his nailed, scarred hands and felt him. And once you've done that, you can't go back. That was what propelled the disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations. 
And boy, did they do that. I mean, you can look through the first five or six chapters of Acts, right? And I wrote down um, a few things that happened in those first five chapters. And if you would, I'm going to walk through them. Because in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Listen to me, church. The Holy Spirit power plus an eyewitness account is powerful for the kingdom of God. He says, I'm going to give you the the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through you, which is the same Holy Spirit that you and I have today. Holy Spirit hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Immovable, unchangeable. If you are a believer in here today and you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you have been dwelt with the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit does a lot of things. Produces fruit in us. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. It gives you a spiritual gift, a way that you can glorify God and encourage the body of Christ. It convicts us of sin. It helps us know what we, we are doing is right or wrong. It guides us and directs us. It gives us words to pray when we don't know the words to pray. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. But, but the Holy Spirit also empowers believers to do things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to do on their own. And that's what's happening here. The power of the Holy Spirit plus eyewitness testimony is about to change the world. Turn the world upside down. We see Acts 1.8. Shortly after, obviously Judas, not a part of the 12 anymore. So they come together to pick somebody else that's going to take, be a part of the disciples, right? That 12. And they say uh, in verse 21 that this person needs to be an eyewitness to the events of Christ. Then in verse 22, not only do they, need, do they need to be an eyewitness to the events, they need to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ. They need to have seen him. Because there's power in that as we go forward. He doesn't need to be a gifted preacher. He doesn't need to have a lot of popularity or power. He needs to be a witness to the resurrection of Christ. So Matthias, join the group. About seven weeks later, we see Pentecost. And the disciples, probably now uh, over a hundred Strong back in Jerusalem for another festival. This crazy wind comes. A lot of crazy things happen. And Peter stands up in the midst of them all. Peter, the one who had ran. The one who not long ago was in fear of his life. Had denied Christ three times. I don't know him. No, no, no. Locked himself in a room because of fear is now going to stand up in front of thousands of people at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit filled them, they all heard in their own language. And Peter says to them, just weeks after he had run off 
He says, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 2. God raised him, listen to this, and we are witnesses of this. And we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit power. Eyewitness testimony. Verse 37. The people respond, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And many people that day embraced Jesus as Savior. They turned away from their unbelief and their sin. And the very first Christian sermon was, was not about the, even the teachings of Christ or the prophet. It was about the resurrection of Christ. But that's not where it stops, right? And that day, thousands of people repented and were baptized. But the, the disciples continue, right? And the next thing we see is that Peter and John go to the temple. They shouldn't be at the temple. This is not a place for them. This is not a safe place. But their fear is gone. Why? Because when you don't have fear in death, then what do you have to fear? You don't have to fear man. Now they're in the Temple Mount. People are recognizing them. And, people, and Peter just begins talking about Jesus right there on the Temple Mount. Chapter 3, verse 13. You, he says to you, 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 you guys, you have handed him over to be killed. Talking about Jesus. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. Verse 15, we are witnesses of this. Where did Peter get his boldness, his confidence, the foundation of his faith? Was that he had seen the risen Savior. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he's... The temple guard, the Sadducees, which is the same group that arrested Jesus. They go outside, they see Peter. He's back in the temple preaching about Jesus. This guy's crazy. A good crazy. They arrested him for causing a disturbance. And the next day they were brought before the same group that had persuaded Pilate to crucify Jesus. Caiaphas was even there. And he was like the mastermind behind the whole thing. And now they're able to call before them two of Jesus' followers. And Peter decides to speak up again. Can't keep his mouth shut. I love it. I mean, imagine you're standing in front of this group of religious leaders. I mean, high, prominent people educated people you you yourself uneducated you yourself maybe not even being able to read what was written on the walls of the building standing up with boldness and with confidence in verse 10 of chapter 4 it is by the name of Jesus who you crucified he holds nothing back but whom God raised from the dead 
And verse 13, and when they had seen the boldness and the confidence of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men and were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They told the men to stop talking, stop preaching about Jesus. You and I can both guess that doesn't happen. Acts 4.20, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They were eyewitnesses. One chapter later, they're arrested for doing the same thing. Religious leaders were, were jealous now because now you have uneducated Galilean men drawing huge crowds. They arrest them, they put them in jail. Somehow they get out miraculously. And they're preaching again. They didn't even know that they got out. They're preaching again. And, and, and you see a, a religious leader come to them and, and probably very diplomatically say something to the effect of, um, your, your trial is beginning, can you come with us? And they said, sure. They're not going to pass that up, are you kidding me? They're too deep in now. They invite Peter and John to their own trial. Chapter 5, verse 30. Peter says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Verse 32 of chapter 5. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. These men were furious, verse 33, wanted to put them to death. But then a wise man named Gamaliel, you remember this story? He comes to them, he, he, he reasons with them, he pulls them aside, hey, let's be wise about this. Remember that one time there was a guy, he had a, a big following, but we kind of let it go, and, and now it, it just, listen, if you do something, you could have a riot on your hands. So instead of just letting them go, they called the apostles together and they flogged them. They beat them. They would have to bear these scars for the rest of their lives. This was a sign of shame. It was supposed to be a, shine, a sign of shame. A symbol of shame. Their response, for chapter 5, verse 41 and 42 they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What in the world? Thank you for letting me do that. It's good to talk about God's word, right? Something changed in the hearts and the lives of the disciples. Their lives were changed forever. The resurrection of Christ brings a great peace and it brings a great joy, but it brings a great commission church. And maybe you weren't there in that upper room and maybe you didn't see an empty tomb. Uh, but look what John says at the end of, of his gospel. He says, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God. And right before that, he says to, to Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. You are blessed, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and we are commissioned to go. And what does that mean for us, right? This is my so what moment. I'm going to let you go because I feel like I could stand up here for a while and you don't want that. What does that mean for us? It means that we can have peace that passes all understanding in the midst of life's most turbulent moments because we have a risen Savior who has overcome death and hell. It means that we can find joy in the presence of a risen Savior because he is alive and he knows you and he loves you and he cares about you. And it means we can go. We can go. And I'm not necessarily talking about around the world, although some of you, uh, maybe that's what God's calling you to do. And man, I, I hope you are willing if God does call. But I'm talking about as you are going, right? The Great Commission, the command to make disciples. As you are going, Make disciples. As you are living your life, as you are being faithful day in and day out, as you are walking the halls of school students, as you are sitting on the bench at athletic events, as you are uh, uh, walking in your workplace, as you are driving down the road, as you are uh, having a cookout at your house, make disciples. Make disciples. Who are you meeting with right now to help them grow in their walk with Christ? Or who are you meeting with that you can grow in your walk with Christ? It's just something to think about. Who are you sharing Christ with, mouth to ear? Who are you inviting to church? Who are you speaking truth and love to? Who are, who are you inviting over to your house? Who are you serving? Church, let's be a church that helps people know and follow Jesus. Let's be a church that's on mission because we have experienced a risen Savior in our own life. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. We have the testimony of over 500 people who have seen a risen Savior and 12 disciples who gave their life for what they knew to be true. Because nobody gives their life for something they know is a lie. Do we understand that? People give their life in the name of religion all the time. But nobody gives their life for something they know is not true. The disciples would have known. And 11 out of 12 of them gave their life for the cause of Christ in martyrdom. Man, let the, let the reality of a risen Savior change you, church. Let it change us. What if? What if we grasp this? What if our church, the people here, the students here, the kids here, understood the reality of a risen Savior is not a one-time event, but it was an event that gives us hope, that brings us forgiveness, that brings us freedom, that brings us peace, that brings us joy, that, that sends us on our way to proclaim the name of Christ. Lives would be changed, people would be changed, families would be changed, our schools would be changed, our communities would be changed with the gospel. Let's be on mission church 
the reality of a risen Savior. As Pastor Matt finished his sermon last week, I'm going to finish as well. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. We have a story to tell. The church of Jesus is salt and light. We are a city on a hill. We have been sent. So go today carrying the light. Go with that message, a story to tell. Go with the joy of a resurrected king in your heart. Go with a faith that is alive. Father, we love you. And we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your power and your gospel. We praise you because you are the only thing worthy, the only person worthy of our praise this morning. Father, may we see the reality of the risen Savior in our lives. May we experience the peace that comes with the words, peace be with you. May we experience your joy of being in your presence. And may we be a church that is on mission with you. God, speak to us today. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.